today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. We're saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, through faith. It's faith. I'm going to look at this bronze serpent on this pole in the shape of a cross, and I'm going to be saved. That's faith. And the bronze serpent, Jesus, taking and paying the price for our sin, the judgment on Him, Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, that pole. That's grace. We're saved by grace through faith. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. As Christians, we know we are saved through Jesus, but do we truly let faith guide our lives? Today, Pastor J.D. explains that you can't stop at grace and need to emphasize the faith in your life. Without faith, His grace won't save you on its own. Believe in the unseen and let God do miraculous things by accepting His grace through faith. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 45 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You know, in Revelation, we're going to get, I can't wait. I, I can't wait for my new name. I never liked my name to begin with, but I'm going to get a new name. Because see, in the Middle Eastern culture, you're known by the name of your family, your family name. When a husband and wife gets married, the wife takes the name of the husband, and that's what we're going to do with Jesus. We're going to get a new name. And by the way, this is the ironic blessing of number six. I had no intention of going this far, but just bear with me. This might be an encouragement for you. I know it is for me every time I am reminded of it. But you know the ironic blessing, number six? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance to you and give you peace. And by the way, don't put the word may in there. There's not may the Lord bless you. No, it's a done deal. You have to understand the backstory behind it. God had commanded Moses to have Aaron pronounce this blessing on his people every single time they came to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. So in other words, if you went to church, so to speak, more than once a day, two, three times a day, every time you would go to the tabernacle, you would have this blessing pronounced upon you. The Lord loves you. The Lord's going to keep you. He's not going to throw you away or forsake you. He's going to lift up His countenance to you. You know what that means? He's, 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 he's smiling. He's not frowning at you angry at you. No, he's smiling. And he's going to give you peace. When you look through that ironic blessing, oh, it is. That's, in other words, God wanted his people to know that he's a blessing God, that he wants to bless them. He wants to give them peace. He wants to lift his countenance upon them. 
we had when the boys were really young. I'm sorry, I can't resist. We, I, I think my wife would not take credit for this, developed a rap song that we taught our boys. This is how it goes. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace and give you peace. (laughs) This is why they're so traumatized later in life, I think, maybe. But And and I did it all the time. I mean, when they were really young, I'm changing their diapers. I'm I'm pronouncing the ironic blessing on them in a rap. They have clinical terms for this, I'm sure, but whatever. In other words, he wanted them to know this and hear this all the time, every time. And then, that's not all, because it doesn't stop there. After this blessing was pronounced, he says, I'm going to put my name on them. Now in our culture, we miss the significance of that. It is profound. Because to say to someone, I'm going to put the name of God on you, is the highest blessing you could possibly pronounce on someone. Growing up as a kid, my mom in Arabic would say, I'm going to say Yeshua. She used Allah because in Arabic it's synonymous with God, but it's not Jehovah. <laughs> so I've changed it. Ism Yeshua Alik. In other words, it was a blessing pronounced, the name of Jesus is upon you. That's the highest blessing you can ever pronounce on someone, is to pronounce the name of Jesus upon them, the name of God. I'm going to put my name on you. And that's what he wanted them to do. And here we are, the clay, going, what are you doing? Just be clay. You'll see, I'm not through. Faithful is he who began that work to complete it. Verse 10, woe again, grief, sorrow, a curse to him who says to his father, what what are you begetting? Or to the woman, what have you brought forth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands. You command me. I have made the earth, verse 12, and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens, and all their host I have commanded. I can't help but notice, and maybe you noticed it too, but the strength in what God is saying here, in a sense what he's saying and repeating and reinforcing is, you have no right to question how or why I do what I do. I am God. I, with my hands, I stretched out the heavens. And you? I created you. It's akin to someone saying to his parents, what are you doing? Why are you giving birth to me? What? How absurd is this? How much more so when it comes to the Lord 
our God, the Holy One of Israel. Verse 13, I have raised him up in righteousness, again speaking of Cyrus, and I will direct all his ways. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free, not for price nor reward, says the Lord of hosts, which was what they would do in that day. Thus says the Lord, verse 14, the labor of Egypt and merchandise of Cush and of the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you, and they shall be yours. They shall walk behind you. They shall come over in chains, and they shall bow down to you. They will make supplication to you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other. There is no other God. In other words, they're going to witness this, see Cyrus do this. This is impossible, unthinkable, inconceivable. And yet when he does it, they're going to say, well, it had to be God. It had to be God. There is no other God. Verse 15, truly you are God who hide yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. They, verse 16, shall be ashamed and also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together. Who are we talking about here? Oh, those who are makers of idols. Oh yeah. But, verse 17, Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Notice everlasting, Israel forever and ever. This is reminiscent of a covenant that God has with Israel that is forever and ever. It's an everlasting covenant. I know this is deeply profound, but do you know what an everlasting covenant is? It's a covenant that lasts forever. I I know, again, profound, right? Why are you uh, being so uh, dramatic? Because there are those who say that God is through with the Jew. Well, what are you going to do with this passage here? And the many others like them, where God declares that He is not through with the Jew, because he has a covenant with the Jew. And so too does God have a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, then I have a question for you. If God is through with the Jew, how secure are you? Because God had a covenant with the Jew and God has a covenant with you. If God doesn't have a covenant everlasting with the Jew, then what about his covenant with you? I have to say it, replacement theology, which is a false teaching that teaches that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people, that God is through with Israel. It is perhaps amongst the most, if not the most, damaging demonic doctrines ever to sweep through the church. God is not through with the Jew. 
God has a plan for the Jew, and it's a plan for everlasting salvation. Verse 18, for thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, time doesn't permit, nor do I necessarily deem it important enough to address, but many have taken this verse in concert with Genesis, the creation account, and formed what they call the gap theory. When Satan was cast down to earth, I personally do not believe in the gap theory, but they use that verse to support it. Again, I don't think, well, first of all, time doesn't permit. So verse 19, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. So what's God saying through Isaiah? Well, to me, it's a much needed reminder concerning our seeking of the Lord never being in vain. Think about when Jesus said and taught, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Now in the original, it carries with it this idea of ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Don't give up. It's not in vain. We just saw it in Hebrews. God rewards those who diligently seek Him. How about that parable that Jesus taught? It's a very difficult parable. Of course, all the parables are difficult. (laughs) But it's about what we affectionately refer to as the persistent widow who would not stop bugging this unjust judge for justice. I mean, she's knocking on his door at all hours of the night. He's like, go away. She's like, no, knock, 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 knock. Finally, he's like, ah, the only way I'm going to get her to stop is to give her justice. Now, please don't for a second think that God is in heaven going, ah, the only way I'm going to get J.D. off my back is just to give in to what he's asking and seeking and knocking on my door for. No. The point of the parable is this, tenacity. Don't give up. Keep seeking. It's not in vain. If that unjust judge would do that, how much more the just judge of the universe will do that for you. There's others where when Jesus taught about us as earthly parents knowing how to give good gifts to our children when they ask. They ask for a bread, we're not going to give them a stone or a fish, we're going to give them a snake. And You know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give to those who ask? James says it like this, You have not, because you ask not. In other words, that can be flipped around. You have, because you asked. 
I never, ah, I don't have time. Let's keep going. Don't you hate that? Okay, I'll just say what I was going to say. I never want to stand before the Lord and have Him say to me, man, if you would have but asked, I would have given it to you. But you didn't ask. Maybe I shouldn't have shared that, because you're looking at me like, wow. Thanks a lot. Verse 20, assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Tell and bring forth your case, verse 21. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. How many times has he said that in this chapter? Did you count? You get the impression that there's no other God besides the Lord? A just God and a Savior. There it is again. There is none besides me. And verse 22, here it is. Look to me and be saved. Hang on to that. All you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I, verse 23, have sworn by myself. I mean, think about it. Who's he going to swear by? You know, we, we say, I swear to God. Well, I'm God. I swear to myself. Well, that's kind of what he's saying. I make an oath to myself, but there's nobody higher, so I make an oath and I pledge in, oh, I am God, so it's me, myself. And then he says this, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me, and here it is, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath, He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord, verse 25, all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Wow, 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 wow. Look to me and be saved. Can I say it like this? Look to me and be healed. Numbers 21. You remember the account? The Israelites are murmuring again, complaining and murmuring against God. Kind of like that clay we were talking about earlier. And God just, okay. So he has all of these snakes bite and kill those that were complaining. And Moses and Aaron are like, God, please, you know, they're praying and interceding. See, I don't know if I would have done that. I would have said, you know, that's what you get for complaining. (laughs) So they intercede on 
their behalf, because they're now crying out, oh, do something, please stop, we're dying, we're getting bit by this snake and we're dying. So God says, okay, I want you to take a pole and I want you to make a bronze serpent, and I want you to hang it on that pole. And then if they will but look to that pole with that bronze serpent on it, they will be saved slash healed. Oh, by the way, Jesus uh, referred to this account in Numbers 21, as Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, so too will the Son of Man be lifted up. Oh, it's right after Genesis, not Genesis 3.16, 3.15 is the different one. That's the Proto-Evangelicum, but John 3.16. It's right after he says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should. It's right there in that, the most popular and famous and well-known verse in all of the Bible. And in the context of Jesus saying that, He brings up what happened in Numbers 21. And He basically says to them, I'm the fulfillment of what happened with Moses. Because you see, bronze is the metal of judgment. The serpent, a type of sin. And that pole that they put that bronze serpent on was in the shape of a cross. Now sadly, the medical community has marred it and perverted it, because the medical symbol is a perverted version of that. They've got two snakes. There wasn't two snakes, there's only one. And they don't have it on a cross. God forbid they do that, because that would be, people would figure it out, can't have that. So it's just one pole and the snake wrapped around it. The symbol for medicine, for healing, that's where it talk about plagiarism. <laughs> The medical industry has plagiarized the Bible out of Numbers 21. That's where they got the medical symbol. Whenever you see that symbol, that's where it came from. And so you're telling the Israelites that are being bitten and killed by these poisonous snakes, if you'll just look at this bronze serpent on the pole in the shape of a cross, you'll be healed. Come on. Are you kidding me right now? You're telling me that all I have to do is look to Him to be saved? Yeah. I wonder. We don't have the detail recorded for us, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were so many of the Israelites that would not look to Him to be saved, and they perished because of the absurdity of it, and also because it required faith. We're saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, through faith. It's faith. I'm going to look at this bronze serpent on this pole in the shape of a cross, and I'm going to be saved. That's faith. And the bronze serpent, Jesus, taking and paying the price for our sin, the judgment on him, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, that pole, that's grace. We're saved by grace through faith. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. If you think that the gospel is only in our first four books of the New Testament, you'll quickly learn through this book of Isaiah that the gospel is mentioned throughout. It must have been interesting for Isaiah to write the things he did in the course of his life. He was a prophet used by God who lived while several kings of Judah reigned. From their outright wicked behavior to a king like Hezekiah, Isaiah experienced the people living in rebellion and then turning toward God, realizing their need for him. God used Isaiah in a mighty way to influence these kings and to speak to them about what was yet to come. God can use you in the place you're at today as well. It may not seem as influential or powerful of a position, but God has you right where he wants you, to use you in the place you are. Are you involved in a local church? If not, we invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m. and Thursdays at 7 p.m. for Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can get directions at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, be sure to check out Pastor J.D.'s additional teachings as well as his Mideast Prophecy Updates, an accurate look at what the Bible has to say about this time in our world. That's all we have for today, but thanks for tuning in to spend this time with us. We hope you'll join Pastor J.D. for our next edition as we learn more valuable things from this interesting book of Isaiah right here on In Spirit and Truth. 